Hey, let's thank our praise band. Thank you guys for leading us in worship. Appreciate it. We appreciate it. Well, good morning, family. Good to see you guys. If you're a guest with us this morning, we are glad that you've joined us this morning to worship the Lord. My name is Chad. Uh, I am broken and I need help. I am loved by my Redeemer. And I am being made into the people of God. And if you were here last week, that's going to make a lot of sense to you. (laughs) Today we come to the final scene in the story of Ruth. This is the scene that we have been building up towards for the last month or so. This is the climax. And so I want to ask you right now, whatever you're doing, to, to, to give your attention to the reading of God's Word. Well, actually, you're going to have to, because many of you say, oh, I could never stand up here and read the Word. So today, you're going to read it with me. Oh, yeah. The words are up here. Just let me tell you, at the end, it's Perez and Amimadad. Just a little help. Got it. Okay, let's read together once my pad here gets where it should be. So Boaz took Ruth... And she She became became his his wife. wife. And he He went went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and lay him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed, for he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez, Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Amimadad, Amimadad fathered Nation, Nation fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You guys sounded beautiful. <laughs> Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we love you. You're a great, great and good God, holy and loving, redeemer, restorer, Messiah. We love you, Lord. We've come here today to lift up your name, to put your name on magnification. God, I ask that you would speak to us through your word, every word of it that you would change this church, you would change your people and transform us into the people of God whom you've called us to be. Would you do that now through the power of your word and the power of the Holy Spirit? We ask it in the name of Jesus, amen, amen. Have you ever been pleasantly surprised? Not just surprised, like pleasantly surprised. Can you just, for a second, think back 
when was the last time that you were actually pleasantly surprised? Took you off guard, and you're like, oh, wow, that's great. It's a good thing that happened. Can you, can you kind of picture the last time that happened, a week ago, a month ago, six months ago? It doesn't happen too often, but it is such a joy when it happens. Am I right? You love it. Uh, it it's kind of like, when you, when you go and buy a car, you've been test driving these cars, and you've been enjoying this car that you bought for days and days, maybe weeks, and you're really enjoying the car. And then all of a sudden, you realize there's some features on this car that you didn't know existed. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, the seats will get warm when I push this button. You know? You already enjoyed the car, but now you're like, you, this is a great car. You're pleasantly surprised. Or, or maybe you bought some software program, or you got a tool you bought that's out in your garage to help you do this project, and you've been using this tool for several days, and you love this tool that you bought. It's great. It's been, it's been helping you. And then one day you have one of your buddies come over, and they help you unlock the potential, the full potential of this tool. And you're like, what? I did not know. It can do that? I didn't know that. This is great. You're pleasantly surprised. Or maybe it was like when you're watching a movie. I think this has happened to almost all of us. At the very end of the movie, you see something that unlocks the meaning of everything that you've been seeing all along. You're like, what? Oh, that's, that's who they were. That's why they did that. It's the kind of movie that has two endings. You know what I'm talking about? It has the one ending at the end. It's very satisfying. It ties up all the loose ends. And then it has that surprise ending. The, the final few moments, you, it just blows your mind how they kept that hidden all along. You start to walk out thinking, you know, aw, they lived happily ever after. You know, they got together and they found true love. And when they, that's a good story. That was a good story. I like that story. But in the final moment, something is revealed that you didn't see coming, and it took you by surprise, and you say, whoa, that was a great story. Like, you need to go see this story. You need to see this one. It's that great. Well, that is what we get in the final paragraphs of the book of Ruth. We get a surprise ending that makes everything that we've been reading much more meaningful to us and much more satisfying. We are going to start this morning with that satisfying part of the ending, and then we'll move to that, that surprise ending, that twist ending. All right, so here's what the book of Ruth teaches us. Ruth teaches us that in the end, God is faithful to restore his people. God is faithful to restore his people. Let's go to the text here, verse 14 and verse 15 of chapter 4. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned, that's well known, renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life, and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Now, if you guys remember, you've been with us since the beginning of this series. The story started out with what? A famine and three funerals. 
the story ends here with a wedding and a birth, and it's harvest time. We started out in dark days, the dark days of the judges when there was no king in Israel and everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. We end up seeing here that God has been providentially working behind the scenes the entire time to preserve a few that would demonstrate his covenantal love. We began the story with Naomi calling herself bitter and cursed by God. Remember that? But now here in the end, she is called what? Blessed. She's called blessed by the women of Bethlehem. Earlier, if you remember, Naomi said that God had brought her back empty and that God had cursed her life. But here, God has brought her from emptiness to fullness. He's filled up her arms with a baby boy. Not only will she have the joy of being a mother, but she's going to have a son that will take care of her in her own age. Whereas before there was the sounds of weeping and the sight of funeral clothes in Bethlehem, now here in the end there's the sound of a birthday celebration and the sight of wedding clothes. Everyone's come out to celebrate what's going on. Joy has replaced sorrow. Do you guys see it? Dancing has replaced mourning fullness has replaced emptiness. Death has been swallowed up with new life for Naomi. Why? Because God has given her a son in Bethlehem. And just so we don't get the wrong idea, the women of Bethlehem tell us, they tell us that this son is actually more than a son. You see, the moral of the story is not trust in God and you get a husband and you get a baby. That's not the moral of the story. You could read it that way. Here's the moral of the story. Trust in the Lord and you get a Redeemer who restores you to God. And since we talked about this last week, I won't belabor the point, but to be without a son was to be cut off from existence. It's a horrid future. Back then, it was seen as being under the curse of God for breaking covenant with him. It signified something more than just dying, in other words. Not only that, but it was also seen as being under the power of death. So this son born in Bethlehem is more than just a baby to keep Naomi from feeling like an incomplete woman or something like that. He's, he is named by the women as a redeemer who restores her life. Namely, he frees people from the reign of sin and the curse of death. That is why there's so much joy, not just for Naomi or Naomi's like little family, but the whole town comes out. They're part of this, if you, if you notice. This scene is what restoration looks like. It's what restoration sounds like. It's what restoration feels like. It's a glorious picture God will not leave his people under the crushing weight of sin, though they may be faithless to him. God will not leave his people languishing under the curse of death, though they may curse him. For those that have put their faith in him, God will restore our life in the end. And that's good news. You see, that gives us hope, does it not? 
the dark days that we are in, that we live in, when it seems like there's a famine in the land, when it seems that everything good in our life has dried up, it seems like God just kind of left us alone, on our own, we can be sure that God is faithful to restore his people his way through his Redeemer. That's the good news of Ruth. Even though we have spent 10 years in Moab, even though maybe we've wavered in our faith towards God during times of suffering, God is faithful to restore his people. I should make you smile. That's good news. God in the end, God will turn our weeping into laughter. In the end, God will bring us from emptiness to fullness. God will bring us from cursed to blessed. And I know what you're probably thinking, but how can I be sure of that? That sounds like good news. It is, but how can I be sure of that? How do I know that God's going to restore me? Um, he might restore somebody, but how do I know he's going to restore me? That's a great question you guys are asking. I'm so glad when you ask questions that I can answer because I happen to have an answer here. But maybe that's you today. Maybe that's you right here, right now. Maybe you have abandoned the God who loves you. You've abandoned him for a long, long time. And you wonder if you can really be restored to him. Maybe, maybe for you, your life has just been one big fat protest to the lordship of God. I'm just gonna do it my way. And you're sitting here thinking, would he ever restore me? Would he ever restore me to him? Maybe that's not you at all. Maybe for you, you have trusted God all these long years. You've, you've obeyed him. You've put your hope in him. You've put your trust in the Lord, but the suffering has been so intense in your life right now. Or maybe the suffering has just gone on for years and years and decades and decades, and it hasn't lifted. And so you're wondering, have I put my hope in the wrong thing? Like, how is this going to end for me? Because the end seems to be coming close and I'm still here in this suffering. Maybe you're wondering, if God is really with you, how can I be sure that in the end, God will restore my life? Maybe that's you today. Here's how. Because as the women of Bethlehem say, God has not left you without a redeemer. This restoration of life comes through the Redeemer that God himself has supplied. And that Redeemer is ultimately not little Obed. As cute as a boy as I'm sure he was. He's ultimately not the Redeemer of God. Ultimately, this redemption for us comes through Jesus, who comes from Obed's physical historical bloodline. See, the amazing thing about this story is that in Bethlehem, what's Bethlehem mean, remember? House of bread. In the house of bread would come one day the bread of life. Naomi gives, Naomi gains the gift of a son in the very same town that centuries later God would send his only son, whom he would lose. She gains a, a son in the very same town that God would lose his son. 
that would be our restorer of life. God is faithful to restore his people to himself because he sent his son that he would abandon on the cross. That is good news for you and I. That is how we can know. This is not a sweet sentimentality type story. It's historical. And that matters. That matters. This final scene in the story actually points us to something that's, that's much bigger that I want to tell you about. It's exciting. Ruth tells us that in the end, God's redemption is deeper and wider than we can imagine. God's redemption is actually deeper and it's wider than we can imagine. The story of Ruth is just a beautiful work of art. I mean, it is a literary masterpiece because of this twist ending. I mean, it, it's been beautiful all along, but this ending really sets it off in a class all by itself. Just when the lights are about to fade to black, we're walking out of the theater thinking that this story is finally over, and man, wasn't that a great story, you know? There's more to the story. Wait a minute, don't get up and leave yet. There's more to the story. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys, have you guys ever seen Back to the Future? You guys remember that movie? I love old 80s movies, all right? Great 80s movies, Back to the Future. This is like in Back to the Future, they have this epic adventure, and, and Marty McFly comes back home, and everything seems to be right, and all the loose ends are tied up, and the credits are about ready to scroll through, and at the very end, what, what are those words that flash up? To be continued. And you go, what? There's more? What? That's what's going on right here. There are some clues that are dropped in the story that there is a sequel coming in a few years. There's more going on in Ruth than merely a sweet love story between a couple and their mother-in-law. This is not some sappy romantic comedy. This is an epic adventure of rescue. God's restoration, guys, is deeper and it is wider than we can imagine. And we need to apprehend this. We need to get a hold of this. First of all, it's deeper than we can imagine. Let's go to the text, verse 17. And the women of the neighborhood gave him, they're talking about the boy, gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, out of nowhere, the author of Ruth drops a huge, huge name on us at the very end as we're getting ready to like shut the book. David. Like as in King David, right? Are you tracking with me? Like as in the greatest, godliest king that Israel has ever known, right? Obed is going to do more than just restore Naomi's personal life. That's what they're saying. You, you guys remember that, th that they lived during the days of the judges where there was no king and there was rampant moral chaos. There was rampant rebellion. Rebellion reigned over everyone because there was no king that reigned over anyone. And what happened as a result? Well, death reigned. Death reigned over everyone because there was no righteous king that reigned over anyone. So Naomi and Ruth, they need more than just to be redeemed from like, 
physical emptiness and personal shame and all those existentialistic things that we need. They need more than that because they live in the days when the judges are judging. They are part of an entire people. They're part of an entire culture, if you will, that needs to be redeemed. A people that needs to be saved from the reign of rebellion against God and the consequences that come from that. And that can only come through the reign of a righteous king. That's what they need. And this is ultimately the kind of redemption that you and I need as well. Like Naomi and Ruth, we need to be redeemed more than just from the personal effects of sin in our life. We need to be redeemed more from more than just the personal effects of sin in our life. We need to be redeemed from sin itself. In other words, we need a redemption that goes all the way down to the source. We need a much deeper redemption, amen? Well, God supplies this. Think about this way, guys, if it helps. Think about a dictatorship where there are citizens, the citizens are being starved to death by a self-serving leader. It is great to fly in food and water and bandages and medical supplies so that the citizens there will be saved for another day or maybe another two days or another three days. But at the end of the day, they are still under the ruthless reign of a dictator that is killing them. Right? The kind of salvation that they need is to be rescued out from under the reign of that dictatorship. They need people, the, the people need a new leader to live. They need a leader, uh, one who enacts righteous laws, makes wise decisions and judgments, does equitable dealings with people. They need a leader who loves them. Then they will flourish under that leadership. They'll really live. And that's what we need, you and I. This is what we really need. We need a loving, righteous king who will rule over our life in the place of the dictatorship of sin and rebellion. And we have that king in Jesus, the son of David, the son of Ruth and Boaz. That's our king. You guys remember the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew? Matthew begins his story about Jesus with a genealogy of Jesus' family tree. It's the part of the Gospel that you guys always skip over when you read it, right? We do. It's like a phone book. It matters. It's important. He starts his Gospel story about telling the life of who Jesus is with this, here's his family tree. And in his record of Jesus' family tree, Matthew actually block quotes the genealogy recorded at the very tail end of the book of Ruth. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And he does this so that we will, uh, so that we will absolutely make the connection between the, uh, for that Jesus is the good and righteous king that we need to flourish. He, want, he wants to make sure that we don't miss this connection, so he block quotes it and then finishes the genealogy with the other names to get to Joseph and Mary. So let's go there. Matthew 1, 5 through 6. We're not going to read all of it. We're just going to read the part that he quotes Ruth. And Salmon the, Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. That's interesting. I don't even have time to go into that. 
Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. little commentary slid in there, just because you don't know. King, I'm talking about the king, David. And David, the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah, and he goes on. There's that quote. That's exactly what we just read together at the very tail end when the closing credits of Ruth, right? And he puts it right there. Then Matthew records at the end of genealogy these words so that we will absolutely connect the dots to Jesus Christ. He's speaking to, to, to Joseph about the birth of Jesus, right? So verses 20 and 21. But as he, that's Joseph, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David. It's making that, that bloodline connection, right? Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the Redeemer King in the line of David that is qualified and he is certified to save us from the destructive dictatorship of sin. That's ultimately the kind of Redeemer that we need. And Matthew highlights that for him. He puts some additional light on that for us. Jesus will rule in righteousness and love and justice and we will flourish under his kingship. Not for just a year or two years or three more years, but for all eternity. This is the good news of Jesus. Here's the punchline, guys. God's redemption is not mere religious window dressing. It goes much deeper than that. It goes deeper than we can imagine. It goes down to the very source, which is what you and I need the most. That's what makes this good news. His redemption is also wider than we can imagine. It's wider than we can imagine. Let's go to verse 17. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name. And the women of the neighborhood gave him... <laughs> A name. So this is another clue that's dropped in to let us know that something bigger is happening in this story. Boaz is the dad of, of Obed, right? Boaz is the dad, and he has the right to name his boy. But it's the women of Bethlehem that name him. What? I've never heard of that happening before in any culture. Like, and they name him Obed. You know what Obed means? It means servant. They say, we're going to name your son. Okay? And his name is servant. I mean, that should make you tilt your head to the side like a dog that's heard a high-pitched noise. Like, what? Say that again? What is going on here? This is some weird, like, birthday celebration that's happening here. What does it mean that the neighborhood named the boy? It means that this is not merely Boaz's son. That's what it means. This boy is a servant, but he's a servant to all. He's a servant to all. There is something special about this son, about this 
Redeemer that God has given to them. Remember, the text is very explicit, remember? And God gave her conception. Ten years, she can't have a son. Now, she, now God lets her have a son. God has given them the gift of this son. Unto you a child is born. To you a son is given. God has done this. It means that the son who will be a servant redeemer belongs, get this, to the entire people of God. The entire people of God have a share in the legacy of this son. And by the way, isn't that exactly what Matthew said about the birth of Jesus? He will save his people from their sin. And who are the people of God? Who are the people of God? We covered this last week, but we should probably hit this again here. Let's go back to chapter 4, verse 11. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman. May the Lord make the So she is not something, and now she is something. She's being made into something. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. The elders of Bethlehem put Ruth the Moabite on the same status of equal status as the matriarchs of Israel. This is amazing. She has equal standing, not second-class citizenship. They are declaring Ruth, an ethnic Gentile, the people of God. And not just the people of God. She's going to be the mother of the people of God. She's going to be the mother of the house of Israel. What? This is amazing, guys. How is Ruth part of the people of God? Where do they get off saying that? I mean, she's not an Israelite by birth. On what basis do they declare her part of God's covenant people? And furthermore, on what basis is she even able to be redeemed? The answer to all those questions is the same answer. It's by faith. By faith. So this is the part of the movie where we have a flashback. We go back in time. Go back. Chapter 1. What happened in chapter 1? Because the Moabites aren't supposed to be allowed in the assembly of Israel, right? Go back. Flashback. Chapter 1. What happened? Ruth placed her trust in Yahweh to redeem her. Didn't she make a prayer blessing? An oath? Your God will be my God. I'm abandoning my gods and my father. Your God is my God. And your people will be my people. Where you die, I'll be buried. So Ruth is saved not by her ethnicity, nor by her family tree, nor by her past life that she's lived, but by her living faith in the God who redeems the God who redeems. And her trust in God to redeem her is proved by her actions throughout the entire book from beginning to end. In fact, she acts more like an Israelite than the ethnic Israelites that she's living with. Did you notice that? Ruth shows them and us what covenantal, steadfast, unbreaking, always and forever love of God and love for his people actually looks like. That's what she's doing. 
That is why the elders of Israel say she is the people of God. That is why she is saved. She's redeemed by a living faith in the God who is faithful to redeem. Ruth is actually following the footsteps of Boaz's mother. Remember her, right, Rahab? The really good schoolgirl? No, she was a prostitute and a Gentile, right? She left her life of sin and death and abandoned her gods and clinged by faith to the God who redeems. She's just following in her footsteps. This has happened before. Great, nice history lesson. Appreciate that. What's that got to do with me, Chad? Here's what it means for you and me. Here's what it means for our life today. It means that this deep redemption that we've been talking about this morning, today, is not just for a single person that lived a thousand years ago. Naomi. That's what it means. It's not just some inspirational story. It means that this deep redemption is not even for a mere couple. It means that it's not even for a single family. The redemption and the restoration that Naomi and Ruth received was for an entire nation. And that nation is wider and more ethnically ethnically diverse than we imagine. It is a big nation. It is a big people of God. It is a nation of those who walk by faith, not by sight. It is a nation of people who put their faith in the God who redeems, and his name is Jesus. And do you know what that means? Do you know what that means? Look up here, guys. Look at me. This is big. I don't want you to miss this, okay? It means that anyone can get in on this. (laughs) Anyone can get in on this. Regardless of your ethnicity or your family's religion or past failures or embarrassing little breaks in the family tree that you may have or your police record, you can be part of the family of God. And that can happen today. Anyone can get in on this. You, yes, you can be redeemed. That's what this means. The book of Ruth tells us, surprise, the door's open for you too. Who saw that coming? You can get in on this. Not, and by the way, not as a second-class citizen. Uh-uh. Come on in and sit on the front row. That's what it's telling us. Full rights, full benefits of a deep redemption. This is the gospel of Ruth. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is why it's good news. So now what? That was a so what. Here's the now what. Now that we have been made into God's holy people, now what do we do with that? Well, now we are called to spread this message widely. We are called to spread this message widely. We're called to spread in our neighborhoods this good news, in our workplaces, in our schools. Yes, even in our own family with our own family members. We who were redeemed now play a part in the redeeming of others. We're redeemed for a purpose, not just for our own blessing. Are you guys tracking with me on this? 
Let's go to 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. Pastor Peter says, but you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Here it is. Why? What's his purpose? Why, why were we redeemed? Why are we part of this holy nation? Here it is. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Is that not Ruth? Called out of the dark days into a marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but the Lord made you the people, right? Isn't this Ruth? Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Our purpose now is letting the people in our life that anyone, anyone, anyone can get in on this redemption, They can get on this redemption through Jesus Christ by faith, just like we did. It doesn't matter how dark your world seems right now. Christ can be your redeemer. May God use Crossway to do this, and may God use you to do this. I love you guys. I want to pray, okay? Jesus, we love you. You're on every page of the scripture. It's all about you and your great redemption and how you will restore us. You're about redeeming a people, not just people. And we thank you for making us part of your people. God, I just pray right now that your word would go deep into our hearts and it would change our lives. You would draw all men and women to yourself. And Lord, for those that, you've, that you have redeemed, that have embraced this, use us. Use us to play a role in redeeming others. We ask it in Jesus' good name. Amen.